I've titled this morning's sermon, Let's Go on an Adventure. Let's go on an adventure. And as I share a bit of our story a bit later on, picking up from what Sarah's just updated you on, I'm just really praying that God will install fresh faith in your life for you to go wherever it is that God's called you to go, whether that might be the nations or whether it might be to your next door neighbor. I'm just really believing this morning that God's going to install just a fresh faith in your heart. And it's great to be part of this series you are doing, uh, these vital signs, and just really thinking, okay, what are the vital signs of a believer and uh, how actually God has called us to catch his heartbeat, his signs, his heartbeat for the nations of the world and actually how we love other people. The love, the first and greatest commandment that Jesus uses to summarize the law. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your body, your soul, your strength is to love God with everything we've got. And then he said, the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. So this morning, whilst we're talking about fresh faith to go, whether that's to the nations, we're talking about fresh faith to also love our neighbor as ourselves as well. And believe that is a vital sign uh, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So just before I read the passage, I'm going to read from Joshua chapter 1, just give you a little bit of background of what's going on here. The people of God have just been rescued out of slavery. God used Moses to uh, redeem his people out of slavery under Pharaoh in Egypt. And we had the story of the Exodus. But these miraculous signs as, as, as Moses confronts Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And we get these plagues and these miracles and Pharaoh eventually lets God's people go. This incredible redemption story as they're delivered through the Red Sea into the, into the wilderness on their way to the promised land. Uh, but they get kind of sidetracked. God's people, they're on this journey, and they just keep getting distracted and distracted. They pick up the law from Mount Sinai, but oh, there's 40 years that go by of just them wandering around. These millions of people, God's people, that have been rescued uh, on their way to this land, but they get distracted and wander and wander. But then all of a sudden, the next generation comes through, and God calls Joshua to lead his people into the land that he had promised them, into the land of Canaan, this particular place that they were to inherit. And it was like a start of a new season, a new era for God's people. He was calling them into this place that they were to inherit. So I'm going to read to you uh, for us this morning, Joshua chapter 1, probably just to verse 11. Um, So here we go. Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise... Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their, to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law that Moses your servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. 
For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan and go and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Father, we thank you so much for your words. We thank you for being here with us by your spirit as we just seek to make more of you, Jesus, in our lives and in the places that you've placed us. And Lord, we just, we just love your Bible. We love this wonderful faith adventure you've called us to. Uh, we love the fact that you uh, came to this earth to show yourself to us. And uh, we're just amazed by your love. And uh, we as your people just want to do all we can to share your love with others. And thank you so much for your plan to just want to reach the ends of of the earth, the nations of the world, as well as our neighbours. And I just pray you'd help me as I just communicate some of the things I feel you put on my heart. And I pray for everyone here this morning that you would speak to us as your people about all that you've called us to do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Great. So I just want to draw out a couple of points from this chapter, just to help us as we look at God's heart for the nations and the faith adventure he's called us to. And um, the first point, really, is the fact that within this chapter, God is commissioning a new leader of the people of God. God is commissioning Joshua to lead his people into the promised land. I love uh, verse 2 and verse 6 really pick up on the fact that they are about to inherit a land. It says, Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land. So what's happened, as I said, they've come out of this place of slavery. They've been wandering around for 40 years, and they're about to actually inherit a land, this land that God had promised them. But there's a river in front of them. There's something that is physically stopping them from getting into this place that God had promised them to do. So the first thing that Joshua is faced with is that he is to lead God's people over this mass of water. And there's millions of, of God's children at this point. And so this is obviously going to be a bit of a challenge. And so what happens is he, he faithfully uh, follows God's command and um, the waters part. And, and what goes on in this story is that uh, we see the people of God conquer the land, uh, just one faith adventure at a time. Once they've gone through the River Jordan, they're then faced with Jericho, the first uh, city. And there's, there's different tribes and people groups that they conquer as they move into this place. But it is an actual land that God had promised them. It said in verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land. What is this land then that's, that's being talked about? Well, this land was a, what's, what's called a, a patriarchal promise. So God had promised the forefathers of this specific place that they would inhabit. And God's people would be in this land, and they would be a blessing to the nations of the world as they inhabited the land, the promised land. And we find this original promise all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. I'll just read some bits of it for you. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I'll show you. And I'll make of you a great nation. And I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. 
I will bless those who you bless. And him who dishonors you, I'll curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there's this initial promise that one day God would call a people and that they would be a blessing to the nations. That they would be blessed so that they could be a blessing. And we see the fulfillment of this promise happening right here in this story of Joshua. They are about to inherit the land. Uh, what do we mean by inherit? Well, an, an inheritance is something that is given to a rightful heir. Someone maybe in your family leaves you an inheritance, something they want to pass down to you uh, just because you're part of their family. And I love the, I love the um, Psalm 2. It's talking about Jesus, uh, this Messiah, this Savior that's going to come. It's talking about uh, Jesus, our wonderful Savior, who's going to inherit the nations. It says, Psalm 2, verse 8 says, Ask of me, and I'll make the nations your inheritance. Basically, Jesus being promised that it's not just one people group, but actually the whole nations of the earth will be, uh, um, will be his. He will be their savior, and um, yeah, he will inherit them as the nations of the earth. When I was 18, um, my uh, grandparents gave me an inheritance. Uh, it was so exciting. I was given a thousand pounds. And when you're 18, this is a big deal. I couldn't believe it when my parents told me, you're going to get a thousand pounds from your grandparents. I'm like, a thousand pounds? What do you mean? And, and there was this thing that went through my head of, well, what have I got to do in order to get, get this money? What, what do I need to do? No, 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 it's nothing. It's just, it's just for you. It's just a blessing. It's an inheritance from your grandparents to you. And this, this blew my mind that I was being given this inheritance and that I didn't need to do anything about it. And we read about the inheritance that Jesus receives, and his inheritance is the nations of the earth. But as Christians, we also receive an inheritance as well. As Christians, we receive this inheritance of what it means to be included into God's family. I love 1 Peter 3-4 to says, In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. When you become a Christian, when you're in Christ, you receive a glorious inheritance. There's a relationship with God. It's a gift of salvation. And in one sense, it's heaven. It means being part of God's family, and it means being with him in heaven for all eternity. And you get that inheritance now. You haven't got to wait till your 18th birthday. You get it right now. I just want to give you uh, an overview really quickly. Uh, I'm probably going to go quite fast, but the references are going to be up on the screen, and uh, even faster than I am now. An overview of God's heart, his, his heart for the nations. And uh, we often talk about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God coming to earth. And um, this book is made up of many books. It's one big story of God's love for us. And it's, it's like it's his story. It's like it's the history, his story of salvation. And I just kind of painted the scene from Abraham and, and where, where we're at with Joshua, but actually the story goes on throughout the scriptures to show us about Jesus' inheritance of the nations throughout the story of scripture. So let me read some of these scriptures to you and just, just kind of paint this broad picture of God's heart for his nations from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. So talked about Abraham, the father Abraham, who, who God promised that, that he would have many descendants. In Genesis 22, 17 to 18, it says, I will surely bless you, and I'll surely multiply your offspring, 
as the stars that are in heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore, your offspring shall possess the, uh, the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. God calls this father of the nations and says that in and through this family of multitudes of people, there'll come one savior who will inherit the nations. And God, God's people, Israel, uh, they, they possess this land we go on to read about in Joshua. And um, God chose his people to reflect him to the other nations of the world. And we see throughout the Old Testament different eras and seasons of God's people being a blessing, sometimes really messing it up, well, regularly actually messing it up, and God calling his people back again and again. There was the era of the kings where people like King David ruled and reigned, and uh, God was, God's people was being a blessing to the nations. There was other eras like the prophets when God's people would mess it up but the prophets would call them back to the plan of God to be a blessing to the world and to represent him to the nations and in the prophets we get passages that talk about this savior this messiah who one day would be one that would save all people We get passages like Isaiah 9, Merry Christmas. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. We get these other prophetic images like Daniel 7, it says, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall be that shall not be destroyed and then if we jump into the new testament we actually uh, see the fulfillment of these promises that one messiah would come and be a blessing in fact we read this i think this is read this morning our prayer meeting before the service galatians chapter 3 it says from verse 8 the scripture foreseeing some of those which i just read to you the scripture foreseeing that god would justify the gentiles by faith Preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed, talking about Jesus. So then those who who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And we get other other prophetic Old Testament statements about how one day God will um, pour out his glory across all the nations of the earth. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the of the earth. Let me get that right. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, sorry. And, and there's this sense that this Messiah is going to come one day. And that in him there will be a blessing for all nations. It wasn't just for one people, but all nations could get caught up with this gift of salvation. But after the season of the prophets, it kind of goes, it all goes a bit quiet. It all goes a bit quiet and God's people are like, what's going on? I thought you promised us a saviour, a messiah who was going to be our saviour and, and all nations would be saved and, and it, would be, it would be amazing like the time of King David. What's going on? It all just went quiet for 200 years. And then this kind of Old Testament prophet type guy, John the Baptist, comes on the scene. He was a bit weird. He wore kind of camel hair and ate locusts and stuff. But he was in the desert and he called people to repentance. He said, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what he was talking about was the Messiah. And at this time, the people of God got excited. The fulfillment of all that we just heard about, it's about to happen. It's about to happen. Jesus, who was being talked about, Jesus was on the scene. And Jesus was born. Heaven came to earth. And when Jesus grew up and started his ministry, he would demonstrate heaven on earth. And he would proclaim the things of the kingdom on earth. He would do miracles and draw people to God. And it was beautiful. It was incredible. 
And again, we read in Galatians 3, the fulfillment of this, where Jesus basically as part of coming to earth and, and sharing his love and inheriting the nations is the fulfillment. He is the Messiah. And he, he, he shares his heart for all people. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There's no male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. And Jesus goes on and he gathers his disciples and he says to them, you know what, this isn't just for us. I want you to go now to both Jews and Gentiles. And he commissions them to go to different places and we get the great commission where he commissions them to go to the ends of the earth. I love Luke 24, 47. It says, as Jesus commissions his disciples before he's about to ascend up to heaven, talking about the nations, he says that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem with his people. And we, the Bible story goes on and on. We get the book of Acts where we see the disciples who've gone out and they've been commissioned sharing the message of Jesus and the love of Jesus with the nations of the world. And then it, is, it finishes in the book of Revelation. This glorious scene we see in Revelation chapter 7 where all that Jesus had talked about in inheriting the nations comes to fruition. It's great, isn't it, that we get the, the book of Revelation. We know the end of the story. We know how it's going to finish. And in chapter 7, we get this image of someone from every tribe and nation gathering around the throne and bowing the knee before God. After this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all the tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Just this glorious picture from people from every nation, just as God had promised Jesus came to save then he sent out his disciples one day he's coming back he's coming back and that day there's going to be someone from every tribe and nation around the throne remember I told you earlier that when I turned 18 I got given this inheritance this thousand pounds oh my goodness 18 didn't earn it I just got given it this incredible inheritance I was so confused by this generous gift that was given to me that I, went, I made the mistake of going and telling my friends at school that I'd been given a thousand pounds by my gran. And um, out of all of my friends, I was, um, uh, my kind of family were, were probably a bit older than theirs, and they hadn't, they hadn't reached this kind of stage yet. They, they weren't dissimilar. In fact, some of them got bigger inheritances than I did, but it was just news to them that actually someone could be given this amount of money. And uh, I made the mistake of telling them, and so uh, I just got teased about it most days, uh, but they would sing chants at me like, I don't know if you like the Barmy Army or cricket they would say you're so rich it's unbelievable they would say these things they would just tease me because I had money that I hadn't even earned and um, that's what young people do like when they just compare themselves to each other and um, I kind of wish I'd never told them but also there was just something that kind of grew in me it's just like you know what I I love my mates when I was growing up I just was so kind of interested I wanted the approval of my friends and uh, I was just thinking you know what I want to share this money with my friends and um, it was, I was actually um, quite a naughty teenager. I didn't actually, I didn't um, get baptized and give my life to Jesus until I was 18. And so uh, my kind of 16 and 17-year-old years, yeah, we won't talk about them right now. Um, they, they weren't great. But in that season, there was something in, in my life that just kind of wanted to just get the approval and love of my friends. 
And anyway, uh, the, the day came when we kind of graduated. We had our um, boat party on the London Thames, the equivalent of a prom. And um, uh, mum and dad have made the mistake of telling me that my inheritance uh, was on a gold card. And um, they'd hidden it somewhere. And um, uh, don't forget, I was a bit of a naughty guy at this point. And so basically what I did is um, I hunted around the house until I found my gold card. Uh, I found the gold card. And on the day of our prom, our boat party, I said... Right, guys, let's go and have some fun. Um, thankfully, you can only get, what, 300 quid out of a cash point? Um, so I went and drew as much money out as I could, having stolen the card, and uh, I took my mates out for this amazing meal and basically bought them drinks all evening. And um, it was quite an eventful night, and it kind of goes down in history within our friendship group. Point being, I was so desperate to share with the, for the love and the affection of my friends that I wanted to share my inheritance with them. I wanted to share my inheritance with them. And that's kind of the call on our life as well, friends. That actually we've been given as Christians this glorious inheritance in Christ. We've been saved. Didn't earn it. Can't, can't try and work for it. And now we have this privilege of saying, hey, who wants some of it? Who wants to share in this inheritance that we have been given? And in this passage in Joshua, we see Joshua being commissioned from God to inherit a land that had been promised to him. He was leading God's people into this place, and God was commissioning him to, to carry out this mission on his life, to take God's people into this place, that they would be a blessing to the surrounding nations. And that's the call on our lives, that we are to be a blessing. What time are we finishing? Cool. What... What I want to do is I want to share with you, uh, Sarah gave an update, just some of the faith adventure that God is calling us on right now. Uh, thank you for allowing us to come this morning and share. Uh, we are about to embark on an amazing faith adventure to the nations, to the ends of the world. And I'm uh, just going to take you through some slides. Um, these are some friends of ours who are also involved in church planting. Marinus and Evelina on the top left. And um, these guys are planting a church in Brussels. And uh, this is Martin and Lisa on the bottom right. And they are planting a church in Maastricht. And they are part of our family churches, part of New Grounds, and we are teaming with them uh, and Redeemer, and we are going to be heading to Berlin. I just want to take you through some bullet points, some information about Berlin. We're going to be heading off on a Berlin adventure. Berlin is um, the capital of Germany, and uh, Germany is right at the heart of Europe. God has spoken to us as a family of churches about church planting. It's in the scriptures, and uh, he's spoken to us about not forgetting Europe. And uh, God has called us and commissioned us as a couple to go to the nations. And it's been so exciting. At the same time, God has spoken to New Ground about going to Europe. And so we're really excited about going to Berlin in Germany, right at the heart of Europe. Berlin itself is made up of 3.6 million people, many nations across Berlin, and there's uh, 200,000 students that flock to the city to study each year. It's got a huge economy, it's the capital of Germany, and it has many businesses that, that are there. In fact, it draws many entrepreneurs to, to Berlin. There's loads of creatives. It's nicknamed the Silicon Ali of Europe. Many people go there for startups. It's an it's a incredible city for, for entrepreneurs. It's also known for its creativity and hipsters, lots of cafes and clubs uh, and things that go on in the city. It, it's, uh, yeah, like I say, it's, it's um, got uh, lots of culture that goes there. Berlin's an incredibly fun city. The nightlife is out of this world. The cafes are the best in the world. But, however, however much of a cool, fun, large city, 
It's a very needy city for the gospel. It's actually, spiritually, a really dark place. It's nicknamed the atheist capital of Europe. And um, there, are, there are many, many, many unbelievers there. Next slide shows you that there's, uh, according to statistics, there's only 1% of that 3.6 million people that um, are, are part of Bible-believing churches. And that will be a similar statistic for a lot of Europe, places like Brussels and Maastricht as well. It's, it's quite a dark city. It's a city that needs the light and the love of our King Jesus. And so we feel God's called us to go. God's commissioned us to go to this nation, and he's commissioned us to go to the capital city to see a New Testament started there, New Testament church started there to share his love. And um, we would love for you to support us. We'd love for you to come on this journey with us. And uh, you'll be doing that anyway because you're part of New Grounds, and this is a New Ground plant uh, into Berlin. But um, who knows? Maybe there's people here that would love to commit to supporting us, and there's different ways that you can support us. The biggest way, and I guess really the most important way as that word came this morning is prayer we 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 need prayer (laughs) we would love for you to pray sarah waved the card earlier this morning the berlinadventure.tv is the name of our website and you can sign up for a monthly prayer newsletter on our website and we'd love for you to do that if you would love to pray for us over this next two or three years that god will be with us that god will gather a team that god will see a great church started in that city please subscribe to the website we're also having some new ground prayer days as well Uh, one in london in sidcup on the first of july and one actually in berlin over the uh, 500-year anniversary of the Reformation on the 28th of October. Over that weekend, we're going to be celebrating 500 years of the Reformation when Martin Luther kicked off the Reformation. Uh, Much of what we enjoy now is Reformed theology and what it means to be a a people of grace. Uh, That's being celebrated, and we're going to gather on that weekend and pray for the very nation that that was birthed out of on Saturday, the 28th of October. And so we would love for you to, to pray for us. When you, when you look at the book of Acts, you see how the church was started and how um, God's people were commissioned to go. And um, one of the biggest questions I, I keep getting asked as we talk about this church plant is, how are you going to do it? And um, my first response is, I don't know. And my second response is, I'm just going to try and copy what they're doing here the best I can. <laughs> and one of the best examples of that is the book of Acts. And when you read the book of Acts, you just see this great commission that we mentioned earlier and God's disciples going out, just being sent out to different area and different area. I won't run through them all now, but there's, there's many accounts of, of the different areas that the disciples were sent out into. And essentially what they were doing was sharing the good news of Jesus. And the best way that they saw to do that was by starting new churches that shared the love of Jesus in different areas. I've been reading some books on church planting recently, funnily enough, and um, and just here's some quotes for you about church planting. For years, most Bible teachers have referred to Paul's travels as his missionary journeys. We prefer to call them Paul's church planting journeys. Paul's missionary journeys, sharing the good news of Jesus, is that he would establish spirit-filled communities. He would appoint elders, and then he would move across to another area. C. Peter Wagner says, the most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is to plant new churches. A guy called Bob Roberts says this, uh, writing in The Multiplying Church. He says, churches have to own church planting, and that means giving it to the people. It has to be viewed as seriously as other ministries in the church, if not the core of what it means to see radical transformation in our communities, the nations, and the world. 
Multiplication is what local churches must do throughout their life cycle to ensure that the gospel goes forward in their country. Multiplication is what the kingdom church looks like. Multiplication is the hope of the future and the potential base from which the church will expand globally. It's so exciting to be part of a church planting movement. And uh, at Ashburnham this summer, some of you are coming to our church camp, New Grand Church camp this summer, we're going to be announcing 26 different church plants that are going on across New Ground. Um, that, that should amaze you, because last Ashburnham we only announced five. And so this summer we're going to be announcing 26 different church plants. And you guys are part of that. We're in a family of church planting family that are going to be starting 26 church plants over this next season. That is really exciting. I love Acts 1.8, just before Jesus is about to ascend up, he's died on the cross, he's resurrected, he's about to ascend up to heaven. He tells the disciples to wait in Jerusalem, because they're going to send the help of the Holy Spirit, he's going to come and empower you to be a witness. And he kind of gives us this strategic plan, saying about the book of Acts, this is the kickstart of it. He says, I'm going to empower you to be a witness. And he says, I'm going to empower you to be witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this is what we read in Acts. They actually follow this cycle. You can track it through the book of Acts. They start a church in Jerusalem. They go to Judea. They reach out to the people of Samaria. And then they go to the ends of the earth. And this is what we're part of, friends. Wherever it is that God's commissioned you to go, whatever land he's called you to inherit, it might be the nations. It might be your next door neighbor. The fact is he's empowered us to be witnesses to go. He's commissioned us to go to the ends of the earth. So this patriarchal promise, it was to inherit a land, but also it was to point to a saviour through whom the whole nations of the earth would be blessed. Jesus was to inherit the nations, and we are part of that inheritance. We are part of the glorious inheritance in Christ Jesus. So he commissions us to go. He commissioned Joshua to go and inhabit and inherit the land. But also he gives us courage to go. He gives us courage to go. He said to Joshua three times in this passage, he said, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land. He commanded, he charged Joshua to be strong and courageous and to inherit the land. So if we're going to go on an adventure, if we're going to go on this faith adventure, I want to suggest that we need some strength and courage, don't we? Whether it's to our next door neighbor or to the nations, we need faith in order to go and step out into the unknown. Hebrews 11 is the classic passage that talks about this hall of fame of the heroes of the faith. It starts off by saying, Our faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the certainty of things not yet seen. When we talk about living a life of faith, when we talk about going to places that haven't yet uh, been inhabited, this is, this, this is going to need courage. It's going to need courage for us to go. And um, sometimes we hear people say that you can spell faith, R-I-S-K, risk, taking a risk, stepping out into something that you have never done before, into the unknown. And that's exactly what Joshua does here. He takes the people of God into a place they've never been to before. He acts in faith, following God's command. He follows this command to inhabit this land. He receives strength. He receives strength to go, and he receives courage to go. Where does he get his strength from? Well, this book, this book of Joshua, really the overarching theme of this book is how we have a faithful God. 
He receives his strength and his courage from knowing that he has a faithful God. God had promised them this land, and all of a sudden, God was fulfilling his promise on the people of, good, of God. In Joshua 21, 45, it says, Not one word of all of the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All had come to pass. God had promised them a land. And now he was fulfilling that promise. And this story of Joshua is about God's people fulfilling his promise in going into the land. As we've been on this church planting adventure, doing this internship, to be honest, there's been some really tough times. As we've left family and friends, we've had seasons over this last kind of half a year when it's been really hard. <laughs> it's been really hard where actually we've, we've missed people, we've missed family and friends. And there, there was this one moment where we were feeling kind of quite sad and sorry for ourselves because we were missing family. And we were fo- both feeling quite downheartened. And uh, all of a sudden that day, uh, and we were both just feeling emotional, uh, we, we saw this incredible rainbow. It was great because we left the house at different times and we both took a picture of it from different angles. This is the picture that Sarah got. I saw the rainbow out of, out of the window of the flat. And um, this is kind of Sunday school stuff, isn't it? And when we think about the promise that, that um, God gave to Noah, he'd never flood the earth again and gave him a rainbow to prove that he'd never do it. But this picture of this rainbow just spoke so powerfully to us in the midst of this time. We're doing monthly vlogs, videos, and we're trying to make them as authentic and real as possible. The reality is, friends, we go through tough times, don't we? It's all very well to say, go to the nations, go tell your neighbor about Jesus. Sometimes it's, it's hard. It's hard work uh, when, when actually we, we are people that go through challenging times. But right in the midst of this, God just reminded us that he was with us. He was with us. And that's his promise to, to Joshua. It's his promise that, that, that he would never leave him or forsake him. And Joshua got his strength and his courage from a faithful God who would never leave him, who would never forsake him, who would never turn away from him. So I wonder, just, just, just finish with, with kind of like some questions and challenges on us. What's, what's stopping us from inhabiting the promises of God over our lives? What, is there a river Jordan in your life? Is there something that, that, if you're really honest, stops you from maybe going to the nations and being caught up in a church planting avenger? Or maybe even for you, you know, no, God's called me here. I'm so excited about what God's doing uh, in this city, in this borough in Kingston. Uh, but actually, if you're really honest, sometimes you get nervous about talking to people who are your neighbors and next door. What, what are some of the things that stop us from crossing the river, our river Jordans? I want to suggest that, that the biggest thing that kind of sometimes stops us from going on this adventure of faith is simply fear. It's fear. It's, it's worrying about what people might think about us and what people would say over us. And um, it's, it's really a really kind of silly little illustration, really, but God's really been speaking to me um, about, about faith through ducks. <laughs> You've got, you got the incredible River Thames out here as we came in this morning. We've got a beautiful canal next to our house. And most mornings, I'll, I'll walk along this canal, uh, and the Dutch guys are cycling up and down or rowing down, down the canal. And um, uh, as we've been enjoying springtime, there's been lots of beautiful little ducklings. And uh, most often, as you're walking down the canal or running down the canal, 
uh, most of these ducks are petrified and they jump as you kind of run past. Uh, they jump into the water. But you know, there's some birds that are, that just are not scared. Uh, one of those is a heron. So you get loads of herons and storks in, in Holland and they're quite big and their beaks are even bigger. And like you feel like, oh, if I get too close to him, he's really going to attack me. Uh, and you run past think, surely he's going to fly off any second. And he doesn't. You're like, who's, who's the most scared in this situation? Me, me or the heron? And there's this one particular type of, I can't quite work out whether they're ducks or geese, and um, you get some really fierce mothers. Uh, there's these little, these little kind of ducklings, and you're running, and as soon as you get anywhere close, they come to you and they start hissing in your face. And there's these fierce little uh, mothers that are protecting their ducklings. And it's a silly little picture, but I really felt God speak to me through that as this almost image of, of the kind of motherhood of God, the father heart of God protecting his children, but also this fearlessness. I mean, the reality is I like duck. I'd be more than happy to uh, take this duck. You know, I'm like probably about six or seven times the size of the duck. I'd be more than happy, you know, to enjoy the duck uh, and take it and eat it. Um, But this duck doesn't care that I'm much bigger than it. It is so fiercely protecting its children. And it's it's just a beautiful image to think that actually this fearless mother is protecting her children. And actually, how much more does my heavenly father love me and protect me and want to install to me what it means to be his son and his, his child and have confidence knowing in who I am as his child and being fearless in all that I live. Uh, I love the verse 2, 2 Timothy 1-7. to It says, For God has given us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And I just want to finish just by reading to you... Um, we just put up on the screen just uh, 1 John 4. I don't know if, James, you want to come up and get the band up. Maybe we can just sing to respond. But I think um, as we think about courage to go, as we think about what it means to go, I've got my courage to go by the fact that my Heavenly Father loves me. My Father loves me. I haven't been given a, a spirit of fear or timidity. I've been given a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. And that, that power ultimately comes from the fact that I'm a child of God. Joshua knew who he was, not just as a leader, but as a son. He was, he was a man of the presence of God. He was a man that would hang out in the tent of meeting as Moses was face to face with God. Moses left. Joshua was still there hanging out in the presence of God. I want to be a man that knows what it means to be in the presence of God and know who I am as his child. And um, I, just, I just think this passage is beautiful because it helps us as we think about loving God and loving others, how we even do that. How do we get that courage to go? I want to suggest to you that we have a heartbeat for other people. We have a heartbeat for the nations and our friends because God has a heartbeat for us. You know, Joshua, the name Joshua actually means Jesus. It's a, a, Jesus is, is a, also known as Joshua. The Hebrew word Yeshua can be interpreted as, as that's the, another translation of the word Jesus. And, and Jesus is a greater Joshua. Uh, Jesus came to this earth to cause us, his children, to inherit a glorious gift of salvation. And uh, this passage here says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son, Jesus, to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It's a, a long, complicated word there, propitiation. It basically means that God loves us so much that he died in our place. He was our substitution. We see, we deserve the punishment uh, for our sin, uh, but instead Jesus died in our place. He died to give us this glorious inheritance, salvation with him. But it goes on to say, there is no fear in love, 
but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And this is the bit here. We love because he first loved us. So we can go out today, whether it's to the nations or to our neighbor, and we can think, God, give us courage to love. And we're loving on the basis that he first loved us.